You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. You listen. Seats in front of you, and uh, Ephesians is one of uh, 13 letters written by the Apostle Paul. You'll find it uh, in the New Testament. And look, if you need to use the table of contents, there's no shame in that. I do think it's helpful to have the scriptures in front of us as we go through them so that we can all be on the same page, so to speak. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, I pray that as we reflect on these two verses together, that first and foremost, you would remind us of your great love for us. We are called to imitate you here as beloved children. So Lord, I believe there is Something you want to say to us today as sons and daughters. Lord, a reminder that you want to put in front of us that we are more loved by you than we could ever imagine. And then we're told to walk in love as Christ loved us. Lord Jesus, I'm sure that you want to remind us today of your great love for us. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who pours the very love of God into our hearts. So today I pray that we would be moved all over again by how much, how deeply, how vastly we are loved by you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are essentially two commands in these two verses. Imitate God and walk in love. The second command, walk in love, specifies or clarifies the first one. So there are really only two points in today's sermon. And you'll kind of see that in your notes. And the things indicated with the arrows are things that flow out of these two commands. Paul writes there in verse 1, therefore imitate God. Now, these two verses are essentially a summary of the specific put off and put on instructions that Paul put before us in the previous passage. So to speak truth rather than lies, to deal with our anger in a righteous manner rather than to cultivate it and to allow it to take root in our hearts, to give rather than to take, to use our words to build up rather than to tear down, to treat one another with kindness and compassion and grace rather than bitterness and hatred is to imitate God which is something God has always called his people to do. You and I were created to image or to reflect God's character and his wise rule over creation into the world. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In the most basic sense, to be created in the image of God is to be created to reflect God's character into the world. The children of Israel were redeemed out of Egyptian slavery and into covenant relationship with Yahweh in order to reflect his character outward to the pagan nations around them. We read in Leviticus 19.2, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then Jesus. He comes on the scene and in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says that one of the kingdom expectations he has for his people is that his followers would reflect the character of his father into the world, even as he himself had come to reveal the very heart and character of the father to the world. In Matthew 5, 44 and 45, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Therefore, imitate God. As God's people, we're to follow in God's footsteps and do what God does. We're to embody his character as spirit-filled people in such a way that God is revealed through our attitudes, our actions, our interactions, our relationships, our words, and our everyday decisions. In other words, when you and I leave a restaurant, we should leave our waiter or waitress thinking to themselves, huh, so that's what God's like. When we pass through the checkout line at the grocery store, we should leave the cashier thinking, huh, so that's what God's like. When we respond to a brother or sister in Christ who takes a risk and confesses sin or reveals a particular temptation to the members of our small group, we should leave that person giving thanks to their Heavenly Father with words like this. Huh. So that's what you're like. Now, there are certainly things that God is and things that God does that you and I can never be or do. God is sovereign over all things. We are not. He is everywhere all the time. We can't be. He is all-knowing. That's just not possible for us. But we can copy or mimic his character. In fact, that's precisely what the Holy Spirit is producing in us. God's character. 
And that's what Paul is calling us to embody and to imitate. Now look, I realize that the command, be imitators of God, sounds like the kind of command you and I may simply want to opt out of from the get-go because we know all too well that we're going to fall flat on our faces if we even make an attempt. But I want to encourage you because A, there is no opt-out if you and I want to follow Christ faithfully. And B, God isn't calling us to do something that God isn't going to enable us through his spirit to do. If you and I will draw near to Christ, and if we will ask Christ to teach us, train us, and empower us. After all, Jesus himself is the great imitator. He makes the invisible God visible through his faithful obedience to the Father. In John 5, 19, we read these words. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In a sense, Paul is simply calling us to learn from Christ in the precise way that you and I were made to learn just about anything. You see, most human behavior is learned through observation and imitation. Now, this is most certainly how small children learn. From parents and other close caregivers, children learn how to speak, they learn how to perform new motor skills. They learn how to interact with others. In fact, it's a remarkable thing to me how children simply pick up on the language that you and I speak and they just learn how to use English before they ever learn how to read English. And they learn how to use English through imitation. In fact, I think that's one of the best examples of how observation and participation leads to imitation. You see, what we often fail to realize is that you and I continue to learn this way throughout our lives, often picking up on attitudes and beliefs and behaviors and words of the people with whom we spend significant time. And oftentimes we pick up on these things without even realizing it. This is why if we want to imitate God, we must spend significant time with God. We must spend significant time with God for God to show us what God is like. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want power, joy, peace, eternal life, you must get close or even into the thing that has them. This is why the Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that we must make our home 
with him and in him if we intend to bear fruit. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 15, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Be imitators of God. In other words, if you're going to, learn to walk as Jesus walked, you and I are going to have to learn to walk with him, to cultivate a life of being with him, learning from him, and leaning on his presence and his power at work in us to reproduce his character in us. In fact, you and I, we shouldn't I think, see this command first and foremost as a mere principle that you and I can go home and put into practice like mastering long division or fractions. Rather, we should see it as a gracious invitation from Christ to place ourselves in his care that we might learn from him as everyday disciples what it means to reflect the Father's character like him. We do this by giving our attention together to the scriptures. And in particular, to God's character as it's revealed in the life and in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. We carefully observe his character in action, his responses to people and situations, his feelings toward others, which are displayed in the ways that he treats people and talks to people. And we ask the Holy Spirit to show us areas of our character that don't match the character of Christ. Ways that we respond to situations and to other people that don't match with his responses. And ways that we treat and talk to others that aren't reflective of his ways and his words. And then we take steps. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in relationship with one another to put off those aspects of our character, those responses to people and those, and, and those words that don't look like Christ. And we take steps to put on those things which do. Now here's the thing. For this kind of thing to actually happen, for you and I to actually begin to embody the, the, the character, the actions and the words of Christ, you and I must remain motivated over the long term to actually want to become more like Jesus. Otherwise, his character will not be deeply replicated in us. Now, this is why Paul tells us in verse 1, that we are to imitate God as beloved children. Now, in a real sense, Paul is simply exhorting us 
to replicate what we have received. God's love. In fact, I would go so far as to say you and I cannot replicate what we are not receiving. Nor can we replicate what we aren't resting in. You see, it's only those who are confident in the love of God for them who can actually love other people in return. Otherwise, you and I say things to other people and we do things for other people and we relate to other people in ways that are actually more about seeking things from them, like approval or affirmation, than they are about actually giving anything to them out of a sincere commitment to what is best for them. Now search your heart long enough, and I would venture to say that this is probably an issue for quite a few of us in this room. We think we're loving other people, but very often what we're doing is simply manipulating them through our words and even through our benevolent actions in order to get some stronger, deeper, richer sense of self-worth from them. But that's not love. That's self-centeredness that masquerades as love. When Paul writes that we're to imitate God as beloved children, he's inviting us to enter into these words and to experience what it means to be beloved sons and daughters so that you and I are motivated and equipped to replicate what we are receiving, to overflow in self-giving love toward others in the same way that the Father has given himself to us in the Son. John Piper says it like this. So, when you think, imitate God. Think, God's not just loving people, and I'm supposed to do what he does and love people, but he's loving me. Which evidently must mean I'm supposed to get strength from being loved by my father in order to imitate my father. That he loves me is what empowers me to become more like him, end quote. Do you know that your heavenly father delights in you? Do you know that your heavenly father is committed to you? Do you know that your heavenly father will never walk out on you? Do you know that your heavenly father cherishes you because you are in Christ? Do you know that you are a beloved 
son, a beloved daughter. If you and I are going to imitate our father, his love must come home to our hearts in a profound and life-changing way. Is it any wonder then that Paul prayed as he did in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19? By the way, I bring this prayer up every week, guys. You should just go ahead and memorize it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, watch this, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God so that as Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, you may what? Imitate God. Or that rather God might shine forth his character in all of its fullness, through you. You see, if you and I would desire to imitate God, we must first ask the Holy Spirit to immerse us in the love of God. When the Father's love does begin to come home to our hearts in a profound and life-altering way, Imitation will simply be the overflow and the outflow. Why? Because that's what love is in the heart of God. Love always moves outward in overflowing kindness, tenderness, and lavish generosity. When you, and I, when you and I are immersed by the Holy Spirit in the love of God, the love of God will then overflow through us because that's what love does. It cannot be contained. Now in verse 2, Paul, in a sense, specifies what he means when he says, be imitators of God. He says, and walk in love. Now I've mentioned before that the word walk is the primary word that Paul uses in the second half of Ephesians to describe what it means to live our lives in light of all of the spiritual blessings that the Father has bestowed upon us in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Paul uses the word walk in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 8, and chapter 5, verse 15. Walking conveys movement, action, direction, and destination. It implies that you and I are on a journey. It tells us that our lives are to be animated and energized and directed by divine love. 
As we've already seen in chapter 4, verse 15, and verse 16, it's love that is the glue that binds us together as a people and enables us to become all that the Lord Jesus wants us to be. And just so we're clear regarding what love is, since the very word itself has come to mean all sorts of things in our everyday conversation, I could say I love Star Wars and I love my wife in the same sentence And none of you would think that's strange. Well, maybe some of you would. (laughs) My wife probably would. Um, (laughs) Love, biblically speaking, is the willingness to pursue the good of another regardless of whether the object of our love deserves it or not. We're talking about a love born of commitment, not of emotion. A love that is willing to give, though it receives nothing in return. A love that is willing to enter the muck, the mire, and the mess of other people's lives to go lower on their behalf. Now, is there anywhere that you and I can look to observe such a love in action? After all, as we've already discussed, you and I will never be what we never see. If we're going to imitate or walk in the love of God, we need to know what the love of God looks like. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle John writes, In this the love of God was revealed or made known, or as the ESV says, made manifest among us. That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Right there you have it. This is where God's love is revealed. In the sacrifice of his one and only son for sinners like you and me. And isn't that exactly what Paul says? In verse two, he writes, and walk in love just like or as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us. So here the Apostle Paul says something similar once again to what he said at the end of verse 1, rooting again our response to God in the love of God for us. 
providing us the necessary motivation for and the framework for our own expression of God's love to others in the cross of Jesus Christ. We're to walk in love as Christ loved us. In verse 1, we're told the Father loves us. In verse 2, we're told the Son loves us. And we're reminded that his love led him all the way to the cross, where he gave himself up for us, where he willingly offered his life on our behalf. Just as the Apostle John intends the cross-shaped love of Christ to motivate our love for one another, so the Apostle Paul intends the cross-shaped love of Christ to motivate our love for one another. In other words, both of these early church leaders, they recognize that the key to loving like Christ is being loved by Christ and being personally moved and motivated by the love of Christ for us into a life of love for others. Brothers and sisters, only when the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit can it possibly overflow from us and into the lives of others. This takes us back once again to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. We've already read it. So we won't do that again, but if you'll recall, Paul prays that we would be able to consider and trace together with all the saints the love of Christ in all of its fullness, its height, its depth, its length, and its width. To trace all of its dimensions in the word of God and in the life of Christ, and most importantly, in the sacrificial death of Christ. Now, many folks in the history of the church have seen in Paul's prayer the very shape of the cross and believe that this is precisely where Paul intends to draw our, our attention. When the Lord Jesus was crucified, his body was stretched wide and long from hand to hand and high and deep from head to foot. If you and I desire to get the love of God into our hearts and out through our words and out through our way of life, there is no better place to park our hearts than the foot of the cross. And to meditate there, not only on what love is, but on the fact that the Lord Jesus cared enough about you and about me 
to give himself up for us when we were yet enemies of God. Friends, if we intend to walk in love, we must situate ourselves at the bleeding Savior's feet and we must ask the Holy Spirit to soften our hard and brittle hearts with a fresh vision of our King's dying love for us. A fresh vision of the beauty and the moving majesty of the cross, the supreme revelation of God's glory, his greatness, his goodness, and his grace towards sinners like you and me. Friends, if the cross doesn't move us, if the cross doesn't animate and energize us from the inside out, if it doesn't fill us with wonder and awe and joy and hope and an eagerness to respond in love, chances are slim to none that you and I will ever walk in love. After all, cross-shaped love is not for the faint of heart. It is self-giving, self-emptying, self-forgetting, and self-sacrificial. Notice again what Paul says. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is another invitation from the Holy Spirit to consider, to contemplate, to reflect on what it meant for Jesus to give himself for us. What did it mean? What did it mean for Jesus to love us all the way to the cross? What did that entail? What were the implications and the ramifications for him? What did it cost him? Think about it. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Love pulled Jesus down into the brokenness of our fallen world. And we can expect it to pull us down into the muck and the mire and the mess of one another's brokenness. Love opened Jesus up to suffering. And we can expect it to open us up to suffering. This may look like little inconveniences, like a mom who has to wake up in the middle of the night to breastfeed her precious infant multiple times, night after night, week after week. 
it may look like heaving disappointments. When you have to tell a son or a daughter who's living in such a way that they're going to make a wreck of their lives that you can't help them anymore because you love them too much. Love opened Jesus up to ridicule and scorn. And we can actually expect it to do the same thing to us. The powers of darkness are animated by selfishness. And they cannot stand anything that looks or smells like the cross-shaped love of Jesus. Love opened Jesus up to sacrifice. And we can expect love to cost us too in large and small ways. Here's the thing though. And brothers and sisters, this is really important. The DNA of who Jesus was had so shaped Paul that he simply cannot imagine a Christian life that is not shaped by this kind of love. These are instructions given to everyone in the church. Walk in love, brothers and sisters. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus went to the cross for us so that ultimately through the power of the Holy Spirit, he could reproduce the cross in us. You see, being loved by Christ frees us to love like. And friends, ultimately, this, this is the good life. Now, that sounds strange to our ears. Because, frankly, you and I, we, uh, we inhabit, we are influenced by, and yes, we imitate a culture that does not want to be pulled down into the brokenness of others. We imitate a culture that shuns suffering. No, 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 no. Especially when it's other people's. That's their problem, not mine. Did Jesus say that? And we like affirmation and approval too much to love people to the point where they really don't care for us. And let's talk about sacrifice. The DNA of Jesus had so shaped Paul 
that he cannot imagine a Christian life that doesn't look like the cross. And Jesus himself said, if we want to follow him, we have to take up our cross. But in the kingdom of God, what always follows death? In the kingdom of God, what always follows death? Resurrection. Resurrection. Friends, the path of death with Christ is ultimately the path of life. Which means self-sacrificial, self-forgetting, self-giving love that looks like Christ's. Though it cost us everything, it will result in what? Everything. In fact, more than we can ever ask or imagine. Be imitators of God as beloved sons and daughters. Walk in love just like Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Father, we love you. Father, better yet, let us say here as we enter this time of response that you love us and we're so thankful for that fact. God, I pray that your great love for your people would come home to our hearts today in a fresh and moving way. God, in a way that truly affects us deep down, in a way that we can't shake, in a way that makes us stand and stare at the cross in awe and in wonder and in worship and in thanksgiving and say, Jesus, how in the world could you love me so? Oh, let my life as yours was be an offering to my King. Let it be fragrant to you, our Father, pleasing to you because it looks like Jesus' life. Oh God, make us into a people who know how to love well. And in so doing, bring glory to you like Jesus, your son, brings glory to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and